Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is called Lord of the Sabbath. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, June 3rd, 2018. This past week, I had the privilege of attending a screening of Paper Lanterns, a documentary film about Chiagi Mori, a survivor of the 1945 Hiroshima bombing. Mori was eight years old when the bomb fell. In the film, he describes the mushroom cloud and a darkness so total he could not see the fingers he held up to his face. He describes running through the ruined city after the blast, tripping over the countless bodies that littered the streets. An amateur historian, Maury spent his early childhood documenting the events of that terrible day. In the course of his research, he discovered the virtually unknown fact that 12 American POWs had died in the blast, alongside the 140,000 Japanese victims. And that's when his interest became an obsession. Though he didn't speak a word of English or have any personal connection to the United States, those 12 airmen broke Maury's heart. At a time when he had every reason to fear and hate Americans, Maury saw the 12 young men not as enemies, but as boys alone and forgotten in a doomed city, fellow victims deserving of the same dignity and compassion as their Japanese counterparts. For the next 42 years, Mr. Maury painstakingly researched those 12 men, learning their stories, seeking out their final resting places, tracking down their relatives in the U.S. to offer solace and closure, and working to have their names registered at the Hiroshima Peace Museum. The research was slow, hard, frustrating, and costly. It involved combing through thousands of wartime drawings and documents, cold-calling people in the U.S. in the hopes of finding the relatives of the deceased, wrestling with the Japanese bureaucracy, and working extra jobs on the side to fund a ceremonial plaque to honor the POWs. All this while facing the bewilderment and contempt of his fellow countrymen, who couldn't understand the compassion that drove him. Maury and his wife were the guests of honor at the screening my son and I attended in San Francisco. He spoke briefly after the film, describing the challenges and joys of his work. Seventy-three years after the bomb fell, he still broke down weeping as he described the twelve soldiers who had captured his heart. During my trade ride home afterwards, I thought about Maury's story and about this week's gospel reading which raises questions similar to those posed by paper lanterns. What makes compassion possible? What makes it impossible? What truly counts as sacred, and how do we honor the sacred in the midst of desecration? When callousness, apathy, and fear threaten our hearts, how do we return to love? In this week's lectionary, St. Mark describes a two-part confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees. In part one, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. When they get hungry, the disciples pluck a few heads of grain to munch on. Jesus doesn't stop them, and the Pharisees pounce, asking Jesus why he's allowing his followers to break the Sabbath. Jesus answers, The Sabbath was made for humankind, and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In part two, Jesus enters the synagogue, also on the Sabbath, and meets a man with a withered hand. Knowing that he's being watched, Jesus asks the Pharisees whether it's lawful to do good or do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill. But the Pharisees refuse to answer. Angered and grieved by their hardness of heart, Jesus heals the man with the withered hand. The story ends, predictably, with the Pharisees leaving the synagogue to plot against Jesus' life. Traditional and disturbingly anti-Semitic interpretations of this lection pit a rigid, legalistic Judaism against Jesus. But that reading, in addition to being harmful and inaccurate, lets us off the hook way too easily. The Pharisees in this story are not a stand-in for Judaism. They are a stand-in for all convictions, values, traditions, commitments, doctrines, absolutes, proclivities, preferences, and essentialisms, no matter how cherished, noble, or well-intentioned, that stand between us and compassion. In other words, a question the story asks is not, what's wrong with first-century Judaism, but rather, 
What have we, here and now, ossified at our peril? What mortal broken thing have we deified instead of love? Who or what have we stopped seeing because our eyes have been blinded by our own best intentions? What are we clinging to that is not God? We do an injustice to the Pharisees if we write them off as bad people. They were good people. Good people trying to preserve and protect those things, laws, rituals, traditions, habits, that mediated faith for them. Don't we do exactly the same thing when we hold fast to our favorite worship practices, our cherished spiritual disciplines, and our beloved daily rituals? Don't we just as readily decide what is sacred in our own lives and then refuse to budge even when those things become obsolete and lifeless? The Pharisees were not wrong to uphold the Sabbath. They were absolutely right. But rightness is not love. Rightness is not compassion. Rightness will never get us to Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Only compassion will do that. This is an unnerving story. It's a story about Jesus walking through the sacred fields in our lives and plucking away what we hold dear. It's a story about Jesus seeing people we're too holy to notice and healing people we just as well leave sick. It's a story about a category-busting God who will not allow us to cling to anything less bold, daring, scary, exhilarating, or world-altering than love. I imagine there are many people in Chiaki Mori's life who consider his work a waste of time at best and a disloyal scandal at worst. Why would a man give up four decades of his life to honor 12 dead boys? Why would a Japanese survivor of the A-bomb care about providing closure to American families? Why would anyone bring the business of a synagogue to a grinding halt on a Sabbath morning? Why would a man risk his own life to heal a withered hand? Apparently, nothing is more sacred than compassion. The spirit of Sabbath, the spirit of God, is love. Love that feeds the hungry, love that heals the sick, love that sees the invisible. If we truly want to honor the Lord of the Sabbath, then we have to relativize all practices, loyalties, rituals, and commitments we hold dear, even the ones that feel the most Christian. There is only one absolute, and it is love. For books this week, Dan reviews White Working Class, Overcoming Class Cluelessness in America by Joan C. Williams. If you appreciated the efforts of the conservative J.D. Vance of Hillbilly Elegy and the liberal Arlie Horschild, Strangers in Their Own Land, to understand why so many experts and elites have ignored a huge demographic of blue-collar white people, you might add Joan C. Williams to your reading list. She wrote an essay version of this book right after Trump was elected and posted a digital version of it on the Harvard Business Review, where it blew up the internet with three million views. We know that about two-thirds of Americans don't have a college degree, and guess what? When you leave these people out of your vision for a good life, they notice. And when elites commit to equality for many different groups, LGBTQ, Blacks, women, Latinos, immigrants, but arrogantly dismiss the dark rigidity of fundamentalist rural America, this is a recipe for extreme alienation among, white working, among working class whites. Think of Hillary Clinton's deplorables remark, Obama's complaint about people who cling to their guns and religion, or Romney's condescension about the 47%. Williams' definition of working class invites easy criticisms for such a complex category. She argues that many of us have conflated the categories of poor and working class. In this book, she divides people into three categories. There are the poor, there are the rich or elite, and then there are those who are the subject of this book, those who are neither poor nor rich, who exist above the bottom 30% who are truly poor, and the top 20% who are truly rich. This is the middle 53% of American families, the true middle class. Think of pipe fitters and bricklayers, a radiation therapist, a construction worker, a car mechanic, or security guard. These are people who work hard, hate government handouts as beneath their dignity, and honor traditional values. They know full well that they are derided as homophobic, racist, and sexist by, their, by the elites. And they resent how they have been ignored by those elites, who shower attention and benefits on numerous other identity groups, 
So these working class whites resent both the elite and the non-working poor. For about 40 years now, says Williams, elites stopped connecting with the working class whom prior generations had given a place of honor. Making matters worse, the working class has been insulted and ignored precisely when their incomes have tanked or stagnated. It should not surprise us then, as one Trump voter put it, <clears throat> that they voted with their middle finger. Williams urges us to address the situation for both ethical and strategic reasons. Our American vision of social equality must include all people, and our democracy is now threatened with this politics of fury. For films this week, Dan reviews Planet Earth 2. This BBC nature documentary is a sequel to the 2006 series called Planet Earth, which according to the BBC has been viewed by 500 million people. The new Planet Earth 2 series is comprised of six episodes. It debuted in the UK in November 2016, then in the US in February 2017. The six episodes, each of which is one hour long, features islands, mountains, jungles, deserts, grasslands, and cities, and the animal life that is adapted to urban environments. There's also a seventh compilation episode called World of Wonder. Thanks to the BBC Natural History Unit and the advances in camera technology and techniques, this is about as good as it gets. Can you name any other title that has a 100% rating on the tomato meter? Note, Planet Earth 2 should not be confused with a similar-sounding BBC series called Blue Planet 2, which itself is a sequel to the original Blue Planet of 2001. It too has seven episodes, all of which are about the oceans. Both series are narrated by Sir David Attenborough. And finally, for poems on this Trinity Sunday, A New Conversation by Christian Geyser. I understand a bit more now about how it might have felt to be at the table that night of breaking bread and sipping wine, so grateful for the new conversation. No longer about rules and regulations, but about belonging. The new conversation happened around the table where the life of each disciple was a sacred text, not just the ones who didn't betray a conversation where everyone's words are part of the sacred story. So we return on Sundays to remember what is available to us. Do this in remembrance of me. Do take this with you, this new conversation, this beauty you have experienced. It's not a story to believe or to memorize or to tell, but a life to live with one another, a new conversation to inhabit. What if as much as it is about the bread and the wine, it is about re-entering the conversation? What if, as much as it is about the beautiful inherited words offered, it is about our emerging and imperfect words, held by the fertile tensions of belonging and becoming, longing and allowing, arriving and departing? Do this in memory of me. Do take this with you, this gift, this earthy and holy invitation to participate in a new conversation. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, June 3rd, 2018. I'm Debbie Thomas.